This episode of the Internal Comms Podcast is brought to you by the ABIC Health Check. This is a brand new free online tool for evaluating your internal comms activities. Now you've probably seen, you've probably used these online diagnostic tools before. Let's be honest, they can be a little lightweight, rather rudimentary, not always worth the effort of completing. We wanted the ABIC Health Check to be genuinely useful. So we designed it to be thorough. How does it work? The tool takes you through a series of questions in six categories. Insight and understanding, strategy and planning, channels, content, measurement, and professional development. Now, my advice is don't rush through these questions. Make time to sit down with a drink of your choice and work through your answers. You'll need a good 15 minutes. At the end, once you've entered your details, your bespoke report will land automatically in your inbox. This will give you an assessment of where you are today in terms of your internal comms activities. Plus, the report will be packed with insight, advice, and practical hints and tips for what to do next, whether you're ahead of the game or just starting out. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to abcom, abcowm.co.uk forward slash health. Get a free, fresh expert assessment of your work and take your internal comms to the next level. That website address again, abcom, abcowm.co.uk forward slash health. Hello and welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. Every fortnight, I sit down with leading lights from the world of communication, business and academia to tease out the smart thinking, fresh ideas and the new tactics for improving workplace communication. And this week, you are in for a real treat. We are going to unpack internal communications at IKEA, the world's most successful furniture retailer. My guests are Daniela Rogosic, who is the CEO communication leader, and Guy Britt, who is global head of co-worker communication. Together, we discuss the challenge of communicating to 170,000 colleagues working in more than 60 markets worldwide. We start by talking about IKEA's unique culture and values and how that's come to be so baked in to the DNA of the organisation. You'll hear Guy talk about how he sees his role as primarily serving the front line, ensuring all colleagues, especially those who are unplugged, have the right information at the right time to do their jobs effectively. And just as importantly, how his team listens to what's happening across IKEA to amplify and celebrate local stories across the entire community. And Daniela and Guy also share the story behind Flatpak TV, their own brilliant fortnightly show watched by IKEA colleagues worldwide. And finally, I'll just add that 
there's an infectious energy and joy, I think, which Daniela and Guy bring to their work. And you can hear it throughout this conversation, which makes it really special. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So, Daniela and Guy, welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast. It's such a pleasure. I'm super excited about this conversation. So thank you so much for joining us. I think we are actually more excited, right? Absolutely. This is all else, Katie. We're super excited. <laughs> I just thought to set the scene for listeners, maybe if you just sort of explain a little bit about your background and your current responsibilities when it comes to comms, that just sort of paints the picture for people. That would be great. So I'm Daniela then, of course. My prior responsibility is supporting our CEO with communication. And I'm responsible for all of the communication that he does. However, don't keep me responsible for everything he says. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like that distinction. <laughs> uh, my name's Guy. I'm the nice one in this relationship. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm the co-worker communication manager at Inca, which is the retail side of IKEA, let's say. We are responsible for communicating with just over 170,000 colleagues in uh, 32, I believe it is yeah, at the moment, 32. different markets slash countries around the world. So an amazing challenge, but uh, one that's super exciting every day. Yeah, I bet. And the thing about IKEA, I was thinking about this, probably almost all listeners are going to be familiar with the name, with the brand. But as you say, I mean, a huge organization, the scale and the scope, the size of your organization is massive. You've already mentioned that 170,000 people across all those markets. Talk to me a little bit about what they look like and how you segment them. You know, the kinds of people and the diversity within that mix, the sort of jobs that they're doing and their comms needs and preferences. I think all the tough questions we're going to redirect directly <laughs> to Guy. This is a guy question. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a very one-sided interview, but uh, no, it's um, it's a super good question, and it's it's really part of our daily challenge. I mean, if you think of, you know, thirty-two different countries and and the just the cultural differences, the time differences, the language differences that we face in that every day. On top of that, a really diverse workforce, and and as we. Like say, if we're ever going to segment, I guess the the clearest segmentation we have is what we call plugged in and unplugged. Yes. You know, it's easy in a company to do communications when the majority of your colleagues are behind desktop computers or have a, a phone on them, which you can reach them through, you know, those channels. But I'd say the vast majority of ours are unplugged. They're either on the, the shop floor meeting customers, they're driving forklifts in warehouses, they're cooking food in the restaurants, they're, they're washing dishes, they're, you know, dressing the store. There's, there's just such a, a variety and diversity amongst that, that group that there's, there's just no one way or one channel in which to reach them. You really have to rely on um, as many channels as possible, of course, but for us, it's critical that we have the people element or that human element side to it. You know, it's, it's going to be through their, their fellow colleagues, through their managers, through their leaders, that the communication is going to reach them. We can't rely on, on digital channels at all. There is so much to uh, ask in response to that. That's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot in that answer that I'm keen to get, dig into. And ready to answer all those questions. So. <laughs> um, and I will get into the weeds, as listeners know that I always do. But just to step back a little bit, in, 
in preparing for this show and doing my research, first of all, I was really surprised to discover that IKEA was founded in 1943 because the brand feels so contemporary, so modern, so kind of future facing. But then I found this document and we'll put a link in the show notes, of course, The Testament of Furniture Dealer. Oh. First published, I think, in 1976. It's a rival, Kenny. You should do it's that. Your, it's <laughs> just, uh, well... What's fascinating about it is, well, it's publicly available. It's lovely to see a sort of values culture statement that's publicly available. Anyone could look at it. It's beautifully written. I mean, mm. there's some lovely lines in that. Talk to me a little bit, Daniela, about what role this document plays in IKEA's day-to-day, everyday life. I, I actually, like, without sounding like we're a sect, uh, <laughs> I, I truly have to say that it plays a huge role. And it has played a huge role for the last 78 years and will continue to play an important role in the future as well. It is fundamental to who we are, how we do things, and what we do in a way. Not only is it like you say, beautifully written, it actually has a deeper meaning for all of us who work within IKEA, I think. Mm. It, it, and it's also, even though it was written in the 70s, I think it has this forward-looking, always on the way, trying to improve things in order to meet the customers in the right ways. That kind of mentality is built into the, uh, to the testament, which mm. is, I mean, it is a privilege to work with a company, to work for a company that not only has that kind of values-driven, purpose-driven foundation, but also actually works very much in that, um, in that area as well, I would say, or with that as a direction. It's a great example of the message and the method coming together because it talks about simplicity and humanity, but it does it in a very simple and human way. So it is very, very clever. Is it true that you carried it around with you and, and you reread it quite a few times in your, uh, when you first joined IKEA? Yeah, I, did I say that out of You did. <laughs> I can't recall it. But I think for me, who I joined IKEA about eight years ago, and for me, that was something that truly differentiated IKEA from the other companies that I had worked for or worked with before. So for me, I truly, I think when I came in, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another culture of values, like book that I need to read. And I really didn't understand the depth of it. And I think you longer, I don't want to say you longer, the longer you work, but I think Across the years, I find myself coming back to that when I have, when I am in challenging like situations or complex projects where you're thinking, how will we solve this? And is there really a solution that can fit our culture and values, but also be ethical from a business perspective or whatever? I find myself Mm. actually just finding inspiration there and thinking, oh, right, this is about common sense. Say it like it is. Be who you are uh, at all occasions, but do it with like people at heart and the business at heart in a way. So I think I I actually find quite a lot of inspiration in that still. I think it's also inspiring the the practical application of it today. Yeah. Like like you said, it was written a long time ago, but 
you know, when we were lucky enough to travel um, pre-pandemic, you'd be in some countries which, you know, Sweden's a very beautiful, open, democratic place, but there are other countries and cultures where the work culture isn't like that. It might be a lot more hierarchical or, you know, a bit more male-dominated or, or whatever, but you'd get to Ikea and in those countries and meet your colleagues and especially the younger ones or whatever, they were in absolute heaven because they were being listened to, their their opinion was being sought, they felt they had a, a seat at the table, they were included in absolutely everything. And it was deeply shocking for them because that's not part of perhaps that standard work culture in that place. But at IKEA, it absolutely was. And I think that's such a big part of, it's such a foundation and it's so built into everything that we're doing, including mm. how we hire people, mm. to be honest. That's, um, it really just maintains that, that culture and, and those living values. I mean, there is this thing, isn't there, the founder mentality. So those organisations that have a very strong founder, those values seem to be, become part of an organisation's DNA. But if I'm not one of those types of organisations, is there anything that I can take from IKEA, sort of secret of success that might help my values be lived like that? I mean, truly live, truly guide decision-making and, and behaviour. Is there anything in particular that springs to mind? You think, well, it all comes down to the fact that we do this. I, I don't know what this this is, but what do you no, think? No, and I, I don't think that there is a simple answer to this. So this is actually a question directed to Guy. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just realising. Danielle's a total good. She likes the sound of her voice. <laughs> no, for me, I think it's, uh, if I have to pinpoint one thing, and as Danielle was saying, there's just so many things within this, but I think the, as I said before, the values-based hiring, you know, yes. if someone comes to an interview and they're like an absolute killer and they're going to go and hit every sale and they're going to step on whoever they need to step to to get to the top and I'm going to deliver results, they're not necessarily going to be the successful applicant because they're just not going to last long in this culture. You know, it, it has to be values-based hiring. You need to make sure that that is a critical part of, of what you're looking for to bring into the organization. Now, of course, we're always looking for new opinions and new skills yeah, and, and new ways of doing things. It's it's not about being set in this old-fashioned model or mode, but there's something within the culture and values which is just some core cool thing. And even around the world, you know, it's not necessarily, they're not Swedish culture and values. It's no. not Scandinavian. It's they all bring okay. their own their own mix and their own spin to it and, and localized way of doing it. But it's it's just that bedrock and if you if you make sure you keep hiring in that certain way even if you're starting from scratch it's your brand new company it's day one here they are then mm. you need to to have that as your base level that you're going to hire and you're going to look for those type of people to help develop and grow and mm. i think to just build on what guy is uh, saying here is also one thing that i that i think is a is a key to success in living the values and truly working after the values is of course if the people that are working at the company lead by example. So yes. not saying one thing, but acting in a different way. I think that's super important. Like mm. we talk about simplicity and maybe just simplicity is one of the many challenges that we have within IKEA because we are a global company. We have many markets, many colleagues, indirect supply chains and so on. It's a huge organization. So it is, it is really, really difficult for us sometimes to be simple 
Yet mm. that is something that we thrive for every single day. Like, how can we make decisions faster? How can we be more agile? How can we be more relevant? And so on. So I think being a leader at a company, you have to live the values and you have to act after the values. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter what the book says in a way. Walking the talk, as they say, yeah. So let's talk about the nuts and bolts of internal comms at IKEA. And first, let's get our terminology right. Because Guy, I note that you are global head of co-worker communication. And that term co-worker, rather than internal or employee comms, is deliberate. And I just wonder why is that? And how does that shift in language influence your thinking and approach? It's very deliberate. And it's, it's based on that the people we're communicating to are people. They're, they're, they're humans. They're our colleagues. It's not a it's not a, a strange entity or where, you know, or employee, if we say employees, then it's like we're talking down to people. If it's internal communications, then it, it sounds like we're just clicking memos about or, or updating the internet. We're not just communicating with our colleagues, we're engaging with them. We're trying to inspire them. We're trying to activate them. We're trying to, you know, bring them along with the journey and, you know, not just communications a two-way street. It's not, we're not just pushing things out to them. We're pulling as well. We're talking to them. We're having a dialogue. We're learning from them as much as we're trying to share things the other way. So it's, it's just that human element, which is so, so critical to the way mm. we go about it. And that comes down to the way we communicate, it comes down to, to use of language. It comes down to the tone. It comes down to, you know, not using corporate language or not using, um, you know, media release template type ways of writing, which are absolutely inhuman in every way, you know, it's robotic. So it's about having a, a human tone and, and a respectful one and respecting their time and, uh, and their energy. Now I'm guessing, you know, you can't possibly be everywhere all at once. And you've talked about your time difference, all those kinds of things, all people across all those different markets. So you must presumably have to rely on a strong network of, I don't know what you call them, but local comms champions, as it were. Can you tell us a little bit about what that network looks like, what their role is in the communications process, how you sort of develop and interact with that network? We call it a, a matrix here. And so we have colleagues in, in every single one of our markets that, that we, we work with to get the messages out there, but also to sort of stay on top of what's going on in the ground. You know, it's fantastic to, to be here at, um, you know, global headquarters, but we're so far away from a lot of what's happening on the floor you know, and meeting the customers and their day-to-day -day challenges, that it's absolutely critical that we stay extremely close to them. So we're in touch with, with reality and we're able to have our finger on the pulse and, you know, make sure that what we're pushing out there is well-received, is, is needed and is, is appreciated when it arrives. You know, we should be helping them and, and you know, it shouldn't be top-down. I always say when we bring someone new into the team, you know, I report to them. I'm here to serve them. I'm here to work for them and to help them in any way, you know. Um, at mm. the end of the day, for me, the, the key part of this job is just simple air traffic control. You know, there is just daily floods of flights of communication that can come from, from all sides, hitting the markets and then hitting the stores and hitting the coworkers and the colleagues on the floor. We need to make sure that we're directing it in the right way so they're not being overwhelmed, they're not being confused. 
they're not getting double messaging, that it's extremely clear what they need to know, when they need to know it, and how they need to know it. And, you know, of course, the recent times of the pandemic has shown that that is absolutely crucial. So these local comms champions, they are responsible for co-worker communication at a territory level, at their local level. And that's their day job. They don't do another job as well. That is their job. They have a similar role profile wherever they are around the world. Absolutely, absolutely. And as, as you can appreciate in some markets, you know, you think of, of countries the, the size of the US or, or China or, or Russia or, you know, huge markets, geographical challenges and, and all the rest. So they have enough on their plate just dealing with what's happening on their home turf, you know, without having to be inundated all the time with us. So it's, it's critical that they're able to also establish their own communication channels within their countries. We shouldn't be forcing people onto certain channels and say, no, this is where where it all is, come and get it. You know, we need to make sure that they're utilizing the channels that work best for them and work best for their culture and that we're doing our best to make sure that it's received in in the most easy and and time-responsive way possible. So whether that's, you know, simple things Mm. like, you know, our global corporate language is English. Luckily for me, Daniel will tell you my Swedish is horrendous. But well, um, try hard. <laughs> thank you for calling me a try hard. The, um, but the uh, you can't just rest on your laurels with that. You can't say, well, the global corporate language is English. That's it. You know, seventy percent of our our colleagues around the world don't speak or understand English. So we're missing out on seventy percent of our colleagues if we just take the the easy option and say, well, it's English, so that's it. We do everything in English. You know, we take the time to translate mm-hmm. all that we can. You know, which is expensive and and and. Time-consuming. Absolutely. Um, And it has to be Mm. triple-checked by the time it reaches them because mistakes can be made and small twists in words can get you in legal ramifications sometimes. So we've got to be super clear what we're saying. But again, by doing that, you're making sure that you're truly making the effort to communicate to the many, you know, not just the senior leadership or not just to who needs to know. If you're generally trying to communicate to all co-workers, then it's these things that you need to do. And you need to really, as I said, make sure you're going for the channels where they are. Go to where the coworkers are. Don't try to force them to where you are. Rosalie, it's the only way to become relevant for the many colleagues out there. It's both by finding the news in the country together with the, the comms department, but also having their ear or having their view or getting them engaged in what we do across IKEA. I was thinking that, I mean, the comms network itself, the co-worker network, presumably they get together occasionally as well. I mean, out of curiosity, that must be fascinating because there must be loads of great practices and ideas and things like that they must share. Do they share between each other? It's a a secret to a successful Mm -hmm. network and and why we've been so, so just thrilled and happy with ours is that they they work together, whether it's it's sharing a success or sharing a challenge. If something's happening in France and and they're dealing with some kind of issue or challenge, you know they can reach out to their colleagues in Germany or in the US or in Australia or wherever it may be, who they know may have been through a similar challenge and say, "Hey, friend, where did it work? Where did you fall over? Help me out. Give me some advice." Rather than coming back to global, because we certainly don't sit on all the answers there. So it's having this extended family that can all talk and work together and share different successes. Like I said, there's there's vast cultural differences sometimes, but there's also a lot of sim- similarities between what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve. So that's um, absolutely the winning point. 
And I think many times we actually act as the facilitators almost, like bringing people together, solving some of the complex issues that we have together. And I think also the privilege of working for a brand like IKEA is also the downside sometimes because the news spread spread fast. So whenever there is something small happening in one country that could easily become a huge thing in a uh, country or in a market somewhere else. So I think that's also one of the roles that we have at Global, like just trying to facilitate all of the things that are going on in the IKEA world and just trying to keep people up to date and to be able to be speedy when and if a crisis might happen. Yeah, it's a really good point because you are so well known. You're high profile, as you say, and newsworthy everywhere. I know. It's, I mean, it's a privilege to work for a brand like that, but it's also sometimes it's exhausting. There are so many expectations. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard you say that your role is to sort of amplify the voices and the stories at a, at a very grassroots level. And we've talked about a little bit about this already, but is it through those local comms champions that you find those stories? And I'm just, I mean, Guy, you mentioned something about plug and play content. But I'm just wondering what you do with those stories once you've got them. What does it all look like in practice? When we say local comms champions, you've got the, the communications managers in the different areas, but there's also, you know, here we, we talk about anyone can be a comms champion. There are so many coworkers out there that, that come up with great ideas and they're so excited to share them. And so, again, it shouldn't be just us pushing things out. We are always on top of our channels looking for that amazing content. You know, a, a great example we had was during the pandemic, one of our coworkers shared this, this brilliant idea where... You know, they were trying to meet customers in the best way. And, and normally in a retail environment, you smile at a customer across the room to let them know you're here and friendly and available to, to assist them in any way, but they're wearing masks. So that became a little more tricky. So this coworker came up with a super simple idea where they just took photos of each other with a big smile on their face and made it into a nice big badge, which they'd wear on the uniform to say, hey, nice. here I am. I'm, I'm a friendly human person. Come talk to me, you know where you couldn't engage as well with the mask. And so we found that story and we put it on our, our little TV show and uh, just amplified it. And then that idea was picked up by 10, 12 other markets almost straight away because it's it wasn't an idea that took a lot of money. It didn't take a lot of time. They didn't need to pull in agency support or big funds. It was just like, yeah, we can do this in the mm-hmm. store. We've got a camera. We've got premium facilities. Let's just go mm-hmm. for it. And I think that's also a great example of like things that happen in the markets that sometimes we have no clue about. And then we find out, we take a look at it, we actually take it up to a global level and then spread it out to the rest of the markets. I think that that is also the strength in having that network and being able to to take a look at like what is being, what is actually happening in some of the other markets that we can use. I would say one of the key things that is our responsibility is to spread all the great great things that are happening within the markets, no matter how big or small it is. If we think that that can support somebody else somewhere in the IKEA community, then why not? I think that's that's a, the biggest secret or key to to any success we've had is that we are just so laser focused on that's our audience is our colleagues out there in the markets. We're not doing communications 
to please our manager or please our senior leadership. You know, that's the easy way to do mm-hmm. things. You, it's like writing the, the essay a certain way for the teacher who you know is going to grade it. And this is the way you do it. You know, we had this vast audience, but we remain laser focused on who they are, where they are, how they're feeling at the moment, and, you know, what's going to help them in their day to day. What do they want to hear about? What do they want to know about? And that's where you can have your biggest wins. And, and that's, it doesn't mean focusing on the simple and small things all the time, but it, it does mean taking big, complex communications that might need to, to go out and simplifying it as much as possible and making sure that it's, it's delivered in a way which they can consume as easily as possible. One of the channels you use is Yammer, is that right? You've got a fairly vibrant Absolutely. Yammer channel. Has that been going for a long time at IKEA? Yeah, I think for several years. I do want to say like five, but I'm actually not 100% sure. Somewhere there. They also think that the, the beauty of Yammer is that it's not, a, not really monitored or driven from a global level. It actually is more of of a channel that is used locally in stores among sales teams going up to service office level and the country level, so to say. So that has a different approach and is a platform that reaches maybe audiences that we not necessarily reach with only our internet. That's why we put such great content from there because as to my last point, the colleagues on there, you know, there's no senior leaders with big profiles on there. So they're not trying to impress up the chain. They're trying to impress each other. Mm. They're trying to inspire each other. They, they don't care about us no, no. at all, which is the beauty of it. It's fantastic. They're just, look at this cool thing we did here. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. I'm going to take that idea. You know, it's, it's beautiful. Is there a way that others can kind of emulate the success that you've had with Yammer? Is actually the secret of success letting it grow organically? and not trying to kind of manipulate it too much with, you know, stakeholder content or corporate campaigns. Or I'm just curious whether you've got any advice for someone trying to enliven their Yammer channel if it hasn't yet taken off. I think for us, it actually has been that it's growing out in the markets. I think that one thing that came four or five years ago was that everyone had everyone, no matter what position, or what you were doing, or how long you've been with IKEA, or if you're only working four hours every other weekend, and so on. You have a profile on Yammer, making it Uh. accessible for everyone to use it whenever they want to use it. So I think that that Mm. that is maybe one of the key things, that making it accessible, and also Mm. just seeing some people and some leaders engage and create that kind of like inspirational content there, the ability to share, have a dialogue and work partly also support you and add value to your everyday work. So I think that that Mm. has been one of the key things. And I think I remember we got questions like five years ago that was like, yeah, how do we, what kind of policy do you have and how can people like write, like what is okay to share on Yammer and so on. And I remember us saying like, there is no policy. Like we trust our colleagues to have the common sense of not offending anyone or actually being able to share transparently what they think, what they feel is challenging, but also what they appreciate with IKEA. So this was actually more of a 
it actually is a platform that at least I haven't seen any like bullying going on or anything like no, that. This, it's rather, it's, it's, no, it's actually mm. very much about like uh, encouraging each other, benchmarking, finding examples and so on. So it's very much mm. a platform where people get inspired and see things from the other markets, which not necessarily is something that you get to you otherwise. I think it encourages the sharing as well. Like you see the excitement when someone in Australia shares a good idea and they get encouragement from Europe and from Asia and from North America. Like they're just so like, wow, my little idea has been validated all around the world. Like they get Mm. so, so excited. So, yeah. Yeah, that's lovely recognition. You, you're creating a profile for everyone. So part of its success must be, it's, it's, it's easy to, as you say, it's accessible. It's easy to find. People are told about it very early on when they join, presumably. Not so much told about, but you'll just instantly be added to like a little Yammer group. Probably, yeah. you know, your team will have a little Yammer group and they'll add you and and you can then fall straight down a rabbit hole of super fun stuff as soon as you click on there. It's like... So let's talk about Flatpak TV. Now... How did all this start? Because I know you're the stars of the show. So it would be... That's on Danielle's business card, actually. Oh, what? (laughs) How did it come about? I think this idea has kind of like been with us for a couple of years and we haven't really executed on it. Let's put it like that. Uh, And I think when we got into the pandemic, we realized that Jesper, who is the CEO... We couldn't really get him out into the markets, meeting colleagues, being visible in that way. So we started like business updates, you can call them, with our CEO so that people felt that he was where they are. So he is in reality, even though he's not there with you. Uh, and that started out like a one-to-one, you know, kind of like an interview I picked, we picked up things that were happening in the markets, questions that were out there. I mean, we were in an operational roller coaster of both having stores open and closed at the same time having uh, an health, a huge health challenge across the world. Mm. All of us were impacted as individuals, but also within the business, of course. So we, like, it started out like something like some a way of showing that he was present and that people could reach out to us with questions that they wanted answers to and we would do our utmost to answer as many as possible. And then as we kind of like got deeper into the pandemic, we realized, oh my God, there's so much out there that we could share in, in a format like this that is both has a depth, but also is like fun, entertaining, we actually had an event together or held an event and realized maybe we could do this together, you know? What if, what if we would, <laughs> we would do this together? How could that work? And I mean, it seems like people were reacting nicely to our energy and the chemistry and we were finding things that nobody actually knew about. So we just uh, made a really quick kind of like, you know, quick and dirty video on our iPhones and sent it to a bunch of leaders and said, hey, friends, we want to do this. What do you think? They're like, go. You know, I think it's, it's going back to the, the, the culture and the values. I think that's 
the pandemic almost helped us in terms of yeah. when we were trying to crack this like internal TV show idea before, we were we were not following the values. It was getting overly complicated. We were talking to agencies and we were saying, oh, we need a studio and we need script writers and four cameras and lights and, you know. Well, we need hosts. Exactly, so, hosts. We need yeah. professional hosts and we need to audition them and see what's right and what's the right balance. And and then when it came down to, okay, everything shut, the pandemic's on this to us, we've got this and this, then it became, okay, it's us, we'll write the scripts, two other friends that will do the, the filming and the lights, and that's it. So, you know, when we do an episode, it's just four of us that pull wow. the whole thing together. You know. And I think mm. the key here is simplicity in a way. Like we found something that we saw that people liked. Uh, we understood that it could be a channel for us going into something that soon, hopefully, will be post-pandemic and can include like business, growth, all of those things that we haven't really found a way of sharing in an entertaining way. And with this, we get to meet colleagues across the markets. We get to bring in voices from, I mean, from units across the world. And it's not so much about like global uh, sending messages to our countries. It's rather about like finding things in the markets that we can also bring up and amplify across Flatpak TV. There's so much color and, and life and movement and joy internally amongst our coworkers around the world. It's just the ability to find that, you know, whether it's on Yammer or somewhere else. I mean, literally thousands of dancing videos of coworkers yeah. doing whatever the, <laughs> the dance trend of the moment is. And then, you know, I mean, it's just, it's endless what they're, it. what they're doing and being able to, to, to just share that inspiring content and, and lift up. And also the challenges as well, you know, yeah. when there's challenges that we have to lift up to to share that as well with our community and, and look at ways we can address that. It's, um, it's really critical and important, but it just works so well because of that simplicity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's mm. also about like, if you are a colleague, how can you go from just feeling like you are a coworker to actually feel like you are an ambassador? How do we, mm. we are, what we're trying to do is to package this in such a like simple way that it's easy for anyone to kind of like retell the story in a way to a customer right. to a friend and nice. so that we can really bring that what do you say that pride for the brand and for the company you work with and the people you have around you out there just out of curiosity how often does the show go out at, at the moment it's it's once every two weeks for a while there we were doing it weekly but it, it almost killed us because we do two this on top of our day jobs so it's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun, yeah. which is what, what keeps us motivated. Yeah, and I think it gives so much energy back in a way. Like sometimes you're frustrated because you're like, whew, God, no, again. Like, did it, was it really a week ago we did it? But then it, it's, there is so much appreciation for the things that are shared in Flatpak TV. And it's being amplified across the world. And it's, I don't know, it just like opens many doors in a way and builds a network between our many friends and the community. Because you feel, if you've seen a colleague on Flatpak, you feel, that's a great idea. I will call whoever, Alan, and have a chat with him about people's strategy and how they launched it in India, for example, or whatever it could be. 
also it's translated. I think it's worth saying that as well. How many how many languages? Uh, I think it. Oh, we picked our top twenty eight. Yeah. yeah, it's Whoa. a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's a word question. It's a hard grade. It goes up and down. I have to check our <laughs> budget, but uh, no, I think I think in our translations where we're hitting at least the eighty five to ninety percent of our coworkers. Wow. And that's obviously subtitling it rather than awful overdubbing. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, I need Absolutely. subtitles in English as well. Yeah, <laughs> So, uh, if you want me to record all of his answers again, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you talked about. I think it's fascinating. You know, you talked about simplicity being the way forward there, and and the fact that, and I can imagine a lot of people thinking, "What's the time? What's the investment?" and who's the agency and who's going to script it. And actually, you know, getting your phones out and having a go is, is, is really the first step. And that gets you sort of kick-started. But after having done, is it two seasons of the show now that you've got under your belt? Yeah, we're approaching 50 episodes. Yeah. Any other lessons you want to share that you've learned along the way that you've thought, oh, I'm, 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 I wish I knew that at the beginning? I think one of the learnings is, if you don't test it, you will never know. So, I mean, right. my spirit is, just do it. Don't overthink it. Don't overplan it. Like we were saying, this idea has been with us for a couple of years, yet we never executed on it. And it was because we were overthinking it. Like mm. if you keep the simplicity going in something that you do and just like test and try, adjust, add, take away. And look, and if it wasn't, it's not like we're going to break Ikea. I point out, sorry that no one watches. The only people that are going to be embarrassed are Daniela and I. So it's and like, that's like our everyday anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and of course, like when, you, when you're in the testing phase, you know, of course we look back at some of our, our early episodes and go, oh my God, that was not a good one. Eh? That's, I only look at yeah, Guy and yeah. think that. <laughs> well, what was Daniela thinking when she put on those clothes that day? But whatever it might be. But we have run better and better and better, you know, and same with our... We've gotten more ambitious in how we film it and where we go and, and you know. But mm. without, I think one of the key things is simplicity in this. I think I'm so scared that now that we want to adjust and add and so on, it will be too robust in a way and it will be yes. too complex or it will become too professional, if I can yes. use that word, because I think that both what we appreciate in the team and also what is appreciated among our colleagues is that it's not perfect. I yes. mean, I say the wrong things all the time or mostly guy, but anyway, <laughs> I think that like, that's what makes it uh, so, that's what makes it fun in a way. And that's also what makes it more relaxed with our colleagues when we're interviewing them. Like I met a colleague uh, yesterday who was really nervous. I said, what are you nervous about? Like, it's just me. I'm likely going to mess up like 10 times before we get this like sentence right, because it's so difficult, ri difficultly written. So, you know, like, we'll just yeah. roll. We'll just, yeah. you know, it'll be nice. And it's not to say that we don't care about it, but rather it's about bringing that energy and bringing just you in a way to this interview, because that is enough. And also to, to inspire people in terms of, we don't want it to be the be all and end all. This is the communication channel. Like, you know, like I'd love if there were 32 flatback TVs out there, you know. Oh, wow. When we mm -hmm. do, when we're lucky enough to go to another market, 
you know, you see the shock on some people's face when we walk in because they're expecting this entourage of like the studio and there's four of us all carrying the heavy bags. Like, hey, we're here. And they're like, that's that's it. It's just four of you. We're like, yeah, this is this is a team. So, and you think you see them sort of click and go, maybe, maybe I could do this. I could have my friends and we could pull together something, you know, and a lot, a lot have, there's lots of little shows out there now across Ikea where they're trying to just with their phones and, and, mm. you know, lights within the store and, and whatever it's, um, it's, and I think also for our developments, I mean, we are of course looking into, should we add in uh, you know, uh, reporters in each market so that we almost can have, we, we can make it together with our friends out there mm. markets because that's when we get to all the fun things in a way. And that's where, yeah, honestly, that's where the content sits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they're doing amazing things. We're just trying to amplify it. Correspondence across the world. I love it. Mm. It sounds fantastic. How are you measuring success? So are you sort of doing that in an informal way, just through sort of ad hoc feedback and just knowing what your audience is thinking and feeling, or do you have any sort of hard metrics that you set up for this that you are keen to hit? How, how's how's measurement work? I think I think it's a combination of both, and that's been really tough for us. I mean, the first year or so of it, we were in a pandemic, so we were sort of stuck doing the show from a couch here in our office, and we 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 just only getting the hard metrics, you know, from our our channels um, that we had control over. So that's certainly been a challenge where we. We can see, you know, where we post it on our internet, we can see the hard analytics from there, but then we also make it available, you know, to send out around the world with translated burned in subtitles so they can put it on local screens in the stores and in the different units. So we have no idea what the views are, what Uh. the numbers are and, and all the rest of it. And then once we, things opened up a bit and we were able to sort of go out to the markets, that's when we got quite a bit of a shock actually because yeah. we'd, we'd go, I mean, we'd been into a few stores in Sweden and maybe it's a cultural thing. You can explain it better as a Swede, but <laughs> Swedes won't, won't run up to you and be like, hey, it's you. They'll just sort of smile at you or give you a sideways glance. But when we got that to... That means you're really good. When we, <laughs> when we got to, uh, I think Vienna was the first time yeah. we walked into the store there, we had colleagues running over to us and asking for selfies and it was so and it was oh God, really so awkward yeah. strange and we were like this is okay we're making an impact yeah. here that we just we just had no recognition or or you know we'd see mm. it on the screens but we're in an empty office so we're like okay there we are on mm. a big screen that no one's mm. watching and that's it's just awkward yeah. <laughs> no and i think also i mean looking at some of the markets that are coming back to us now they're like can you please like make a flat pack special of uh, France or Italy or whatever it could be? So we can really, we can see that they are also keen on getting their message out through a flat pack, which is kind mm. of a proof of that flat pack is a good totally. platform and a channel to get your messages out there and to show what you're doing, create pride among the colleagues in the countries and so on. So I think that's um, just that uh, warms my heart. I'm going to switch tacks slightly, Daniela. You're, you're responsible for CEO communication. You lead that effort. And I know, obviously, that's a broad comms remit, includes external audiences as well. Yeah. What's the relationship? So a couple of questions here. What's the relationship between internal and external comms at IKEA? Are, are you pretty much aligned? Do you plan and work together? Uh, my history and my background, history, I sound <laughs> old. 
You are, like, you are with old. my long experience, <laughs> yet I'm still really young. <laughs> uh, I I come from. Uh, I fair to say I'm more of a media person uh, with a public relations background. Um, so together with like when guys started four years ago, five, four, four, whatever, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we started to look into this together in a way, just finding ways of like, when I'm working with Jesper from a media perspective, how can we also find ways of looking at what we're doing from a media perspective, from a 360 perspective? So mm. are we, could we amplify this internally? If yes, how do we do it? And what other messages do we bring out into what audiences? And then looking at that, we also started thinking, okay, but when he's doing that from a media perspective, that's also quite a good opportunity from a social media perspective, for example. Or when he's visiting that market, he could also meet with this stakeholder while also doing this media interview and so on. So we're mm. like when I in that work, I'm really trying to capture all dimensions of communication when we can and if we can. I think that the most important thing across the last two years has been the internal aspects of it because it has been it has been so important for us to stay close to the many colleagues across markets. That's the most mm. important audience. And then if we do that through external channels or internal channels, it doesn't really matter. The most important thing is that we are being relevant to them. We understand their reality and we're present in that. Mm. To your ask, mm. uh, to your ask about or to your question around the planning, we really try to get that overarching perspective of like, if we say this externally, we need to kind of say it internally as well. Or if we say this internally, we need to think about how do we use that externally as well. So we truly look at communication from the broader perspective of like, these are the audiences, how we reach them is is dependent on the channels that we use. And also being respectful mm. of our people. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's we, don't, we don't want our colleagues to read this news in the newspaper. You know, they should have heard about it first through IKEA, you know, and being respectful yes. of like, you know, you work for this company, you are our colleague. So we will let you know first as best we can, we yeah. can to, to, you know, inform you so you're, you're up to date and you feel respected and engaged with before you read about it in the local paper or see it on TV. And I think also from a, from a CEO perspective and for the comms there, I think one of the priorities we have when visiting a market is meeting the colleagues. That is always mm. the priority number one. We wouldn't do a media interview or meet a stakeholder or a politician or whatever it could be without actually being in the store or meeting colleagues in a wider group, so to say. I think that's yeah. that's really a, like a hard principle that we have. So we, yes, we would never go to any country without actually being there and meeting the many first. Do you have any advice, listeners, who are new to leadership communications and, you know, hoping to build that trusted rapport with a senior, senior stakeholder? potentially a CEO or chief operating officer, any advice to sort of the first steps to building that kind of relationship? One mm. thing that has been a success or is a success, I want to say, is, of course, to, 
to bring out the authenticity in his personality. So it's not about like changing the leader's language or so on. It's about how can we enhance the qualities that he, in this case, he has that are amazing. And how can we, how can we actually make him feel and be even more authentic in his voice, in his presence, in order to be credible and to get the engagement among people. So I think like for us, that has been super important. Like what is it that that drives the communication? But that is that he is 100% authentic in everything he does when we talk about Mm. communication. Does that answer your question? It does. Yes, it's, 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 yeah. And I suppose I was also wondering about how you make your leader trust your advice, I guess, and, and come to you for that advice. Because I mean, here in the UK, we don't need to mention politics too much, but there's a lot going on. And you, I think to myself, where was that communication advisor when he said that? And it unfortunately is often a man who opens his mouth and says something. You just think, <laughs> Where was the yes. PR advisor at that one? Were they, were they taking a long lunch break or did no one listen to them? I understand. I see your point. I've also seen a lot about UK in the media lately. <laughs> now, I, I have to say I'm so privileged to be working with a person that understands the value of communication and truly mm. is engaged and passionate in the topic. Honestly, I've, I mean... It's a true privilege. Um, and I think we, of course, it takes time to get to know somebody, but I think it has to take time. If you are to support a person, then you have to understand that person deeply. You have to understand the passion, the energy, what drives him and so on. And I think we have invested a lot of time and energy into, our, into the relationship as such the first year. And then it makes it easy because we talk the same language in a way. We understand each other. Uh, but then, of course, like you have to evaluate, evaluate it continuously to see what works, what doesn't work. How can we optimize this? How can we create an even bigger impact with less time and effort? So it's all about like improving the process of working with communication. But then, of course, like, I feel privileged. He is truly understanding the value of communication in that sense. But I think from a slightly to the side point of view, looking at, and I don't say nice things about Daniela very often, oh, so this is very nice. difficult for me to say, <laughs> but I think from a side point of view, watching the success of their work and relationship, it's also because Daniela very much is her authentic self. And, oh. you know, it's, you're not a yes person. You really do. You give good advice to Jesper. You tell him when you don't agree um, or when you have a differing point of view and, you know, you push him when he, you think he needs to be pushed and he pushes back. But you're an authentic and very honest and open person. Mm-hmm. So I think that that puts that layer of trust, which is so critical in there, that I think he feels that, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I feel like he feels that he will get the best and most honest advice when he goes seeking it from Daniela rather than just Daniela trying to say whatever's going to please him. And I think that's yeah. critical to have that layer of trust in a relationship like that. Now I'm conscious of time. We're at the hour. Have you got time for those quick fire questions? Yes. yes. Yeah, please go for it. If you could go back in time, what careers advice would you give your younger self? I would say 
certainly don't do what was what your parents hoped you would do or you know what you felt society was pushing i started out in law and i was never more miserable in a career than when i was you know studying law and then trying to practice law it was just completely wrong for me so once i found communications and i i didn't even know it existed as a role for me you know as a, a lawyer i was told that i smile and laugh too much and it's a, a sign of weakness so Okay, maybe that's not the right area for me, but yeah. <laughs> and I think for me, it is find the intersection between what you love to do and what you aspire to do. Mm. I don't know. For me, I've never had a plan. Like, honestly, when I was 18 and graduating, I was like, hmm, public relations. I wonder what that is. And of course, this was just last year. <laughs> last century. <laughs> but I, I think that I kind of read about it and I was like, hmm, maybe I'll try this and we'll see where, where it takes me. And I think saying yes to some of the things that come to you is what you should do if you feel, hmm, this is a bit scary, but it's still a bit intimidating. And there is something that I kind of like with it. Why not? I've always been mm. like that. And I think that that is a, a, my advice, at least. Like, if you feel that you are, this is intimidating, it is a bit scary. You should go. Like, what if yeah. this becomes your next, I don't know, superpower and you can just continue that path? But I mean, just find something that you love and that you want to be good at and everything will solve itself. When you, when you feel the fear, you know you're onto something because exactly. you know you're pushing exactly. yourself slightly out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So can you complete this sentence? World-class co-worker communication is? For everybody. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> I'm just going to echo that. <laughs> that was good, isn't it? So what, um, what book, and it doesn't have to be a book, it could be a film, it could be a report, but is there something you think all, you know, comms professionals should see or read? Tough question. Yeah, really tough question. I think one thing that I, uh, do you, I can't recall the, the name of the film, but it was about this lobbyist who was doing it for the... Oh, thank you for smoking. Thank yes. Exactly. I think actually that displays like the, the, the backside of communication. But I think it's so important in a way to understand the, what do you say, the drama in communication that you need to create. Nice. Uh, and also what's happening in the background. I think that many who don't work with communication don't really understand how things become big or small. For us, I think we are a part of, not only us, but comms professionals are a part of creating that uh, sometimes to go big and sometimes try to mitigate some of the things that are happening. And I don't, I don't always think that people understand what is happening in the background. And that yeah. film, I think, kind of displays that this is actually happening in the background and you need to understand it. Um, to be able yeah. to actually work with it as well. So that was thank you for not smoking. Yes. I don't is that what's called right? Okay, I don't know. I've seen it. So good tip. Thank you. I'll check it what out. Is yours? That's a really good question. 
It's funny. I feel like in every movie where there's a PR person, they're always evil. They're yeah. always like, like the slightly lazy. <laughs> That's why internal communications is the way to go. Um, <laughs> no, you know what really inspired me is a book which has nothing to do with communications, but it's called um, Touching the Void. Um, it's quite a famous mm. one about this mountain climber and he fell down. And But it's just the storytelling element of it. It's just the the way that, that it's constructed. I think it really, for me, it's something which sort of, you know, I started out in PR myself. It sort of moved me over to, you know, there's not so much storytelling sometimes in PR. I think internal communications has such a richer vein to sort of mine from when it comes to being able to share, whether it's a simple or a big or a complicated or a little story, but to have that, that art and that element and that energy to put into it. So I think that's something which really, both the book and the movie, you know, the, the, the author is quite a, a, a hard, tough guy, but the way he's able to share that story and bring in the different voices, I think really, you know, fundamentally changed the way I looked at communicating. Thank you for that. And finally, we give you a billboard for millions to see around the world and you can put on that billboard any message you like. What's your message on that billboard going to be? Remember to have fun. No, I can't, be- I can't, I can't make that better. It so sums up this interview, I have to say. It really does. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much, Daniela and Guy. What a joy to have you on the show. Thank you Absolute so much pleasure. Thank you, Katie. Really yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> it was so much fun. So that is a wrap for this episode of the Internal Comms Podcast. For the show notes and the full transcript and all the links that Guy and Daniela mentioned, head over to our website. That's abcomabcowm.co.uk forward slash podcast. If you found this episode helpful, if you enjoyed it, I would be really grateful if you could give us a review on Apple Podcasts. This will help other IC pros out there find our show. We have some great guests lined up this season, an interesting mix of in-house practitioners, advisors, consultants. So you may want to hit that subscribe button today. All that remains is to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who reaches out to me on LinkedIn and Twitter to say how much you're enjoying the show. I really value your feedback. I do try to respond to every comment. And thank you too to my producer, John Phillips, and the great team at AB that make this show possible. Until we meet again, lovely listeners, stay safe and well. And remember, it's what's inside that counts. <laughs>